back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not outside riding, running, cliff diving, etc., I'm probably inside writing about it. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we look at all different types of movements and the people that do them. Totally lied about the cliff diving. If anyone is new to the show, but a couple weeks ago, I said I was going to try to mix up what I said I did in my intro. Yeah, you thought you were going to go spurlunking, but you, you this is a very cliff, like cave oriented. Yeah. Very, I don't know. Maybe you should just rock climb. Maybe it's all rock yeah. related. Well, thankfully, I'm actually really excited with my upcoming How to Be Outside the Speaker series that we're having in Collingwood in April. Um, our good friend, Leslie Timms, who's a professional rock climber and owns a guiding company in Collingwood, is one of the speakers. Yeah, and we've actually gone out, if you're ever looking to try rock climbing, uh, Leslie's been on the podcast twice, maybe? Twice, yeah. And she has a business on the rocks yep. in Collingwood, and they do tremendous days out. Or if you just want to hear her talk about rock climbing and sure. you're in the GTA... Uh, put it on your calendar for April 18th. We're having the How to Be Outside speaker series at the Gaiety Theater in Collingwood, Ontario. Uh, tickets for that are actually on sale now over on theoutdooredit.com slash speaker hyphen series. Uh, we'll throw a link for that in the show notes. But if you enjoy the podcast, honestly, you should plan to come out because it's going to be basically a night of 10 consummate athletes talking about what they do and basically answering the question of how to be outside in all different modalities. I am so excited about it. Yeah, so it'll be sort of some short talks. Um, and then also there's a bit of like sort of a, a light expo. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of the people talking are going to have, you know, the causes and groups that they're involved with are going to be there with, you know, information. So if you're, you know, if you listen to Leslie and you're like, oh my gosh, I really want to try rock climbing. Well, you can talk to her and basically get set up to go on one of her things. Um, right. Or, you know, you can find out more about. And it's all not all businesses either, right? Like no, it's some it's of it of is non-profits. like one is uh, like. Uh, Cullipore Trail Association. Right. So like sort of a local there. conservation area type thing and it's free to enter. They just have their own sort of. Uh, what would that be? Club, I guess. Yeah, and they're always looking for volunteers to help with trail maintenance. Trail cleanup. Things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a super fun night. So definitely put it on your calendars. That's April 18th. Tickets are available. Yep. And selling. There's a limited amount. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited about how many people are talking about it. There's a lot of buzz going around. Yeah. So should be a fun night. Uh, anyway, though, bringing us back to present day, uh, we're we're coming up on Valentine's Day, so we sort of wanted to present everyone with like a little bit of a mini challenge. Um, I always joke about the fact that I don't ride outside with Peter most of the time. We occasionally ride together, but as a rule, we actually don't train together very often on the bike because, frankly, our paces are just very different. Uh, so it doesn't really end up being super fun for either of us, if I'm going to be totally honest about that. Uh, so rather than, you know, the occasional thing that people do on Valentine's Day of taking their partner on a fun activity like riding a tandem bike if the one is a cyclist and the other is not, uh, we wanted to challenge everyone to try a new consummate athlete-esque activity together on Valentine's Day, whether it's with your partner or, you know, with a friend this weekend. Yeah, I think it could be Galentine's Day. It could be uh, in Palentine's Day. In Ontario. Uh, we have family day around this time, so it could be a family activity or just a friend activity, um, you know, parents, 
you know, yeah. this is pretty open. Um, we don't, you know, I don't like Valentine's day. I try to avoid it as well. So, um, you can go out one side or the other. When is Valentine's day? Is it 13th? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So you go out with your, your gals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go Palentine's day. So it's unisex. Yeah, I guess. Got to include the men. Well, I mean, you know, you don't always have girlfriends to go <laughs> oh, out fair with. fair enough. And the guys need fair someone. Like... Nah, they don't. They're okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we're going to do that. You, you said that you're going to put a hashtag of sorts. Yeah, I want everyone to try either something new or just something different for so, uh, for you. So. so, so it was for your birthday, but that's when we did go out uh, rock climbing. Yeah, exactly. Maybe tough in February, depending on where you are, but. You could yeah. go indoor rock climbing. Mm-hmm. You could go to, you know, yoga together or bar together. Swim lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might laugh at the idea of bar together, but a bar was Peter's th- been. It, it was rough. Really good at bar. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I need to not snort tea out of my nose as I laugh about that. Uh, anyway, if you go out and do something this week, please hashtag it with consummate athlete love. <laughs> could even be a walk yeah exactly yeah. doesn't take much yeah especially if that's pushing limits you guys could go out and explore something yeah but no there's no stakes on the line we're not picking a winner or anything but ice skating ice skating is a, a great good one, one. local yeah. arena check out the public skating but yeah just encourage did, you, did we say the hashtag yet? yes okay. hashtag consummate athlete love good sorry all right cool what are we gonna do hmm I don't know. What did I see? I saw, what was there? Something really kooky. Oh, there was that like stripper fitness. We could go do that. Do they let men in? In university, I tried to go. I was trying to do all the different, just to get exposure to all the different fitness types. They wouldn't let men go. Can you believe that? I'm pretty (laughs) impressed that your school had a stripper dance class. Well, it wasn't, it was pole based something, I guess, fitness. Um, That still seems like pretty risque for a university. I mean, I'm on board, but. Yeah, where else can you do things like that, though, I guess, right? I, I mean, <laughs> no answer for that is going to be good. Right. Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I guess we could try that. They do have they do have that in Girona here. Uh, that could be, yeah, that could be our Valentine's Day. We will not be posting that with a hashtag, though. So Why? I, I just don't think your pole dancing is going to be up to snuff, Peter. You recall that I have installed a fireman's pole in a house. A hoose, by the way. (laughs) Okay, let's get into these questions. Great idea. (laughs) Okay, so this person listened to our previous polarization and periodization episode um, and is asking about uh, when doing base or low-intensity rides, are rides of 90 to 120 minutes long enough to get any cardiovascular adaptations? Yeah, good question. It's uh, very common, right? We only have so much time. So I think the important thing, if we just review this idea of sort of polarization and, and I guess periodization, polarization is this idea that you do a lot of your training at a you know submaximal low intensity pace. Um, you avoid sort of that middle ground, what we might call sort of tempo sweet spot and threshold for the most part. And then you do a, a small proportion of your training, usually sort of 10 to 20% uh, at a higher intensity. This would be maybe like over your threshold, you could say. Um, so all that to say, I think that's that's good practice. Um, but we need to remember that some of these studies have been done. A lot of these studies have been done looking 
back at elite athletes practices over many years or a year or like a long training block. So it's sort of just looking back at how did this all come together? Um, and, and so it's not necessarily that like every day's workout is going to be a certain composition. It's that at the end of the year, this is sort of like how everything got put into buckets. Uh, so I think that's important to remember that it was elites and that it was sort of like looking back over a season. Okay, great. Um, and I mean, did you have any thoughts on that? I think some of this was being done on the trainer. So in terms of like trainer rides of 90 minutes, how they compare to outdoor rides of 90 minutes? Yeah, and I don't know that we've gotten to the question yet, but I just wanted to start with the polarization, right? So the, oh. the question is, um, you know, with 90 minutes, is, is that enough? I think yes. And I think a lot of this comes down to, for you, what have you been doing? And then if we look at the, the tenets of training, any training plan, right? If you're starting at zero, then there'll be an adaptation to a very short amount of exercise. So I always say that when you're starting, this is like a frequency-based issue where we just need the more you can sort of get out and practice, the better. It's not that it has to be a 10-hour ride. You'd actually be better to do, because consistency is our, our thing, you'd be better to start like a 10-minute ride or walk or whatever it is, right? Um, similar running, like everyone wants to go and do a 10K run to start because it's a round number, but you'd be better to do like, you know, a 30 minute walk and just do that every day for a week. And then the next week add, you know, a couple little short 30 second runs and do that long term gradually building. Right. It's funny. I'm actually working on an article right now that's sort of about how to structure a week of training for a runner. That's, you know, pretty like general. So if you didn't have a training plan, but you're kind of thinking about how to how to structure your week, what to do. Um, and I keep having to caveat things where I'm saying like, short easy run could be for some people five minutes for some people it could be 80 minutes yeah um, and the same goes with like the long run you know for some people a long run is two miles that could be the longest you've run yeah so i think getting to this person's question like again i love 90 minute rides so i would say great that's an endurance ride if you have a couple times during the you know one time during the week if on a weekend you can get a little longer session in great i think that's going to be great um this person's talking about mitochondrial density you know just l riding at that lower intensity that sort of 70 percent uh, of max heart rate or 70 percent sort of perceived exertion uh you know that's good so just making sure that you're not you know making it so like I always say it's like, it's a good workout, right? Like you went really hard for an hour and that's like, that's the, the trap that a lot of us get into. And that's why I started with that polarization idea is that that's a lot of us just have this like good workout pace. That's like, we ride, ran really hard for 40 minutes. Cause that's what we had at lunch. And we just like went as hard as we could for 40 minutes, but not so hard that it was like really hard, but like hard that it was like a good workout. Um, and that's what people do every single day. And there's just no variety, again, a, a, a tenant, right? So I would say as long as you have some variety in your week, you got an off day, you got a longer day on the weekend, and then a couple, you know, 45 to say 90 minutes during the week. Great. Um, I would push you to try and get outside and do some other stuff. So it's not all indoors, but some people can only do indoors. I will say most of my clients and some of them are really fast masters. Like the limit indoors is 90 minutes. And we have exceptions for sure, but you can go outside and run. You can go outside and walk after your thing. But I just, the motivation, the like sweating indoors, the, like it just, I'd rather you burn that motivation and that energy 
when we get to the season versus for most of us, we just, we don't have the time, right? Like it's, I used to have this thing where it was like, there's eight hours in the day where you can work. And like, we've established this over time, eight hour work day. And so we just need to be careful when we start adding more stress than an eight hour work day, which is tricky, right? Cause it's like a lot of us have an eight hour work day at least. So where do you train? Right. And I think that's where you just need to be cautious. And I was always like, okay, well you probably get an hour lunch. So you probably have an hour to train if we like lunch is restful. Um, right. So you just need to be careful. Not that eight hours is this magic thing, but I'm just, how much more can we work if we include training with like stress, you know, the stress to the system. Um, I, I think there's maybe some utility in that. So I think be if circling back again to the question, like how much, what is the minimum effective dose for you given what you've done for the last four to 12 weeks and do that. Right. And just keep adding a bit of, bit of stress, a bit of stress that might be a little bit more sweet spot. That might be a little bit more intervals, a little bit more intensity in those intervals, but not every day. And then again, on that weekend long ride, you might just, maybe that keeps increasing, you know, in duration, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. So now when we're talking about trainers kind of specifically, like do you, in general, you have this sort of like, okay, you're not really going to go longer than 90 minutes on the trainer. So if someone has say, you know, three hours where they want to get in that base training, would you go 90 minutes on the trainer and then go outside and like cross country ski or, you know, do. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, most people don't have access to cross country skiing right outside the door, but this is where you get to maybe you could drive you know one of my clients she has a dog and they do a ton of long like hikes basically and so she'll do saturday for example she'll do like say say we're doing tempo or sweet spot it's sort of the base season so we're doing a bit of this to keep the training stress a little higher um so she'll maybe do say three by three by ten minutes in a in a one hour to 90 minute trainer ride and then she'll sort of I think she showers and cleans up a bit and then gets dressed for outdoors and maybe has like a snack and brings a bit of food with her even. And then her and her dog will go walk for one to three hours on variable terrain and she's out with her dog and it's fun, but it sort of continues that aerobic session. Right. And this is very like Phil Maffetone talks a lot about this. Like he was always like, you run for 90 minutes and you can walk as long as you want to start and you can walk as long as you want to finish. And this is how, like if you're doing a marathon and you're going to do a four hour marathon, he would build someone up where like they run for 90 minutes, but then they walk to make a four hour workout. And then mentally they've, they've got this right. And this is very Phil Maffetone stuff, but I, I just feel like there's, again, we all can only handle so much stress. And when you think about long-term consistency, um, well, and a lot this of people, tricky. a lot of people wouldn't count walking like as kind of activity. You kind of have this weird mindset of if it's not running, it doesn't count as my, my training volume. Yeah. And for some people it's, it's not going to be the thing that like makes them elite, but there's a lot of people, like if you put a heart rate monitor on and you walk on variable terrain at like a pretty good, like not, you're not Olympic race walking, but like you're walking, like there's some decent like cardiovascular load just even walking mm-hmm. um, and again this is like we're talking who are we talking about what is the, the but it, the, again these especially the frequency oriented people like we don't have consistent training if you if they go out and walk like that's i think it can be a game changer personally but um i feel like game changer uh, game changer is becoming like a very overused phrase that can be a huge win for um 
the, the people who are just trying to like add a workout, you know, get a frequent workout and get lots of consistency, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that actually leads really neatly into our next question. I guess. Yeah. Let's leave it at that. I think you can ride for longer on the trainer, but just be careful. You know, maybe the odd Zwift group ride or something is fine. Or, you know, you put on a longer movie. Um, but I, I think I would be looking at when do you need to be fit and when, you know, are there other options, right? Sometimes, sometimes there's other options. And generally speaking, yes, that 90 to 120 minutes on the trainer great. is great. Like yeah. That's going to have the base adaptations. For sure it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So next question. Um, kind of similar. It's the idea of adding volume with limited time. Um, so this is kind of a comical question because at first glance, when I saw it, I was like, I mean, you can't. Right. But well, then, that's the heart of all these arguments and discussions, right? Is, well, then we do sweet spot all the time. That's the solution there. And it's like, no, that's not the solution. But then, you know, like, as I thought through this question, I realized there are different ways of looking at it. I mean, okay, yes, if you only have 10 hours to train during a week, you can't add more hours to it if that's your maximum number of hours. And I actually just kind of saw a I mean, a bit of a cautionary tale, I'll say, is uh, there's someone that I, I know and I follow, and uh, he has a tendency to get up at, you know, four in the morning and yeah. post slightly, you know, not braggy, inst- humble brags, we'll say, um, about his 4 a.m. workouts on limited sleep. And unsurprisingly, he is injured again. Um, so kind of the cautionary tale of if you can't add volume, you can't add volume. So sacrificing sleep or, you know, other healthy elements of your life in order to get that added volume is, is never the right answer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it sort of gets, I I just was talking about this sort of like eight hours concept. Again, it's very strict. It's restrictive, but I think it's worth like considering, right? Like the sleep, portion is non-negotiable like that to me is like in some ways the easy win that if you sleep well then you're not going to get sick you know we know greatly increases your chances of getting sick your immunity decreases energy decreases you know your fuel utilization we're talking about endurance um you know this is again sort of getting film affetone wise but if you're ever wondering why you're puffy check your (laughs) sleep first yeah, and it's just like if we can control the sleep and the food, these are things that we can control on a, a fairly time limited, right? Like if, if we're very busy at work, you know, it is hard. I'm not saying this is easy, but like getting up to train at 4.30, you know, and drilling yourself into the ground is not easy either. So this is where like, well, can we spend time on a Sunday, a Saturday getting ready for the week, whether that's, you know, the cliched pre-cooking of stuff and making meals and whatever your strategy is right um controlling the food keeping the bad food out of the house um pantry clean out um you know just having all these strategies when you get into a corner like do you have something like a whey protein or you know nuts and some fruit on hand you know healthy bars these types of things so that then again your sleep and your nutrition those are like pillars that you have set up and then the training is just like that minimum, you know, effective dose that like gradual progression, the doing what you can, the consistency over time, um, you know, it just, it's going to be the best strategy long term, right? And to this question, I guess we can talk about 
10 hours I feel like is great. You can get pretty fit on 10 hours. So I wouldn't stress on that. Um, the question is how do you increase volume? So I think what the, the question is probably how do we increase load, right? So a, have we increased volume to the point that we we're just like, uh, we've, we're not getting any faster by just increasing volume. So that would be, again, I always do the challenge, like in December or January, could you just do quote unquote volume, low intensity and see an improvement in your fitness, right? Often you'll see aerobic fitness and health and everything because you've let some of that high intensity go out. So I think that's worth trying. And then you're like, okay, I'm riding eight hours, you know, whatever that is. What does eight hours look like? That's like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we ride for an hour. So that's three. And then, so they're saying they're riding two hours on a Saturday and three hours on a Sunday off Monday, Friday. So eight hours a week, that's a pretty burly week for most people, but you're, you've, you're only doing low intensity, right? So it's not even necessarily like, you know, that stressful. And you're like, okay, I've done that for a month. I feel like I'm not getting any fitter. Then this is where we would start adding, you know, maybe some coordination. If we haven't already some sprints, if we haven't already just short term, like coordination, speed skill type stuff. Um, and we could also start sprinkling in some tempo. So this is like, you know, you're sort of 80% effort, um, you know, three by 10, three by 12. And you just do that say twice a week. So Tuesdays and what do we do? Maybe we do sprints on Tuesday. We're keeping the hours the same though. So we're trying to increase the load all that to say by increasing the intensity a little bit. So the total training load has gone up. So really we're looking at volume less as just straight up hours, which I think is how a lot of people tend to look at it. Um, but instead you're kind of seeing volume as like this, this cup where all of your training is going, where like intensity does play into volume. Well, that's why I'm saying load. Yeah. So load would be intensity and volume. So the, the thing is that like, if we look at, I always say classic Joe Friel, but if we look at, you know, a periodization model where we're increasing volume for the base phase, it just, you keep increasing volume. And that's where a lot of the training load is increasing. Right. And that's our tenant of training is gradual progression, right? Uh, gradual overload, progressive overload. So we're gradually increasing the training load and you can only like, there's those two things basically. Right. So that would be in, if you've opened up a Joe Friel book and it would be base one would be mostly volume with a bit of speed skill. So again, spin ups and sprints and then base two, you start adding a bit of tempo. So you're increasing the, the, the load by doing that. And then eventually we'll get into maybe sweet spot or some threshold. Um, and then you, sort of peaked out your training load and your, your, what we might call your chronic training load or your fitness is peaking towards the end of that general preparation. Um, so again, I think if someone has 10 hours, they could do pretty well just by gradually increasing those, like say Tuesday and Saturday, they do tempo workouts and they just gradually keep it progressing those. Um, you're going to keep seeing the training load increasing, right? So you have both the hours in the week and then you also have the amount of interval time, right? And this is where that sweet spot tempo works fairly well for the time limited person because you're increasing training load gradually each week, right? Yeah. Now we're still in the polarized strategy. We're still doing endurance on those other rides, right? And so you need to be careful that every ride isn't a sweet spot ride. Um, but that that's a strategy just to sort of ride in a bit of a couple moderate interval days, right? And this is sweet spot. This is Joe Friel. This is in every training system basically right um i had one other thought so the other idea then is the distribution so you might 
add uh, lunch workouts. That could be strength. You know, a lot of people do that. Some people commute to add volume. Um, and then the other thing is to look at long weekends, look at vacation time from work, look at, you know, just every fourth Friday or every, the end of every one of your training blocks, you just Friday, you know, maybe you can get off work early or you're just going to like got it out and you're going to, after work, you're going to ride for three hours on a Friday, you know, or, or train for three hours on a Friday night. And you're going to wake up Saturday and do a training and then Sunday. And you're going to get this like little volume boost, almost this little mini training camp, right? Again, ideally you wouldn't stack it onto work, but in a, an acute load, fine, right? Like Friday is just like, it's a long day. And then Saturday, Sunday are bigger days, right? I, I sometimes will give clients like a three to five hours, big ride, plan it out, no intensity guideline, just make it fun and just finish off the block. And again, it's acute but it gives you this like boost to the end. And then the next we have a recovery week right after that. Right. And I think sometimes that's a good strategy to just, whether it's the long weekends in Canada, we often have a long weekend, like every month. Um, but you can also plan in long weekends using vacation days and, and so forth to do little mini training camps, um, to boost volume that way. Um, so yeah, the, the double days are a thing, the commutes, the, the lunch thing, and then trying to plan in the, uh, mezzo cycle. So your monthly cycle, the medium term, when can I get a little boost, right? An acute boost to that, right? to that volume. So this is takes our volume. Everyone thinks volume as like a day or a week, but think about volume sometimes as like a month and like little, little burst to it. Not 10 hours, not like so far out of your normal, but little, like an extra day of training or an extra hour here or there. Right. Yeah. And then I think the only thing I would add to that is I'm a huge fan of, I mean, similar to the lunchtime strength training, the five to 10 minute core body weight yoga type thing in the morning. Like it sounds really minimal, but again, sure. if you think about 10 minutes a day, that's an hour a week. That's an extra 50 hours of training per year um, that you can do that does not really affect your schedule. Like everyone can find five to 10 minutes in the morning. Yeah. And I think that's a great, that right? Like that's an hour. So if you're doing 10 hours already and you know, there is those 10 minutes in the morning to give, then that's great. Right. Some, some clients will do it just around their ride too. Um, and, and that's great. Some clients will, you know, on that long weekend trainer ride, they could even mix, you know, five minute blocks of core into the trainer ride mm -hmm. just to mix that up. Yeah. Yeah. So if you need some thoughts or ideas for how to do that, uh, if you head over to consummateathlete.com, you can get our seven day healthy habit kickstart, uh, email guide. And it's got yoga and core. Yeah. And, and some, a bunch of other, a yeah, bunch of other walking, some other things. Yeah. yeah. And it is free. There is no, no sales pitch around that. It's just a thing that we are very, very passionate about and very excited about. So definitely check that out if you want some ideas, but I think that's, that's just one of those things that I don't think people think, oh, you know, five, 10 minutes a morning, whatever, like no big deal. But the cumulative, cumulative effect of that is huge. Yeah. And maybe I, I think you're exactly right. I think looking at other sports and stuff is another, that's the mode of, of training for sure. I think that's, that's beneficial, but I think maybe how we should have started this question too is, and we can finish it with this is just, I think we see in this day and age with the, the Strava and the Instagrams and stuff like everything is, is volume based and people understand like how many miles did you ride today or how many hours did you ride? But 
again, like a, most of us our our discipline is, is not that long for a lot of us. And especially if it is a, a big event like Leadville or Kansas, it's, it's a ways off still, but so, so many, and I think even the person maybe asking this question is not a long discipline, right? So we don't need that much volume, but even still, most of us to make adaptation, the, the minimum effective dose again, isn't like if we could just do three hour rides every day, no one's impressed by my three hour ride, but if I'm doing them frequently, like very quickly, that's, that's an 18 hour week. If you do it six times, right? Not everyone's doing that, but you, you see my point. No one's impressed by a single three hour ride, right? But if we can keep that consistently in our schedule once a week there's a lot of people that don't have three hour rides once a week they might have a 10 hour ride once in the year right but it's it's a different thing so i think it doesn't like boring is often good you know just keep it consistent it doesn't need to be on instagram and yeah there you go all right, we'll end with our sexier questions since that one, like you say, is a little boring in the answer. This one, it's all about all about recovery modalities and in particular, uh, this person is just asking, um, will sauna or hot tub time as a recovery tool impact her adaptation to cold weather? Yeah, and I think so many of these recovery questions is you know, it's all sort of, you, you look at research, it's it's like the research on coffee, right? Like it's going to kill you and then it's going to keep you alive forever. Um, I really only look at the positive coffee studies. Well, and I think the reality is that, you know, we've gotten this far drinking coffee, so we'll probably be okay. Um, you know, and there's some individual variation, but, you know, and some maybe specific application and ways to sort of, you know, use it here and there. But in the name of recovery stuff, like we know sleep is good. We know like a good general nutritional, you know, strategy, eating enough and stuff. Those are going to help, you know, there's, there's lots of kooky like ways to finesse this. Um, but those, those sort of big rocks are the ones we want to make sure of. And then from there, you know, any of this other stuff I think is just like, how do you feel doing it? You know, try it honestly for, you know, a day or a week and then you know, without it. And then is there any difference? You know, do you enjoy it? Does it add to your life? Like, I think those are the bigger questions even before we worry that much, assuming that like the expense isn't so much. Right. So, you know, I have clients that, you know, the, the money isn't necessarily a, a huge concern. Right. And it's, they enjoy it. It, it. it maybe, you know, getting in the hot tub is like 20 minutes where like they can just be alone and they're almost meditative. And, you know, so it, it can be quite good in that respect. And when we're saying cold here or hot or whatever, it's, it's almost, it could be anything, right? Like pick the kooky thing that's vibrating or making cold or making heat or making whatever it's doing to enhance recovery. Right. I'm thinking of those, like the guns, the massage guns. Oh yeah. But I mean, those are, some people really love them, right? It's so it is what it is. So anyhow, so, so the question what, here first is let's just maybe say like, so when picking a recovery modality, the first thing to do is pick one that you actually enjoy. Like if you hate the, like the massage gun, then there is not really going <laughs> to yeah, be the or, efficacy for or it. Or like the big one would be like stretching, right? We've had Greg Lehman on the show and he goes, wanes back and forth in, in parts of his life. He's been a critic of stretching and then like, okay, it's stretching's okay if it makes you feel good. And it's just the, the evidence for stretching is a lot like coffee, right? Like it goes back and forth. Um, but that seems to be where it's settled is like, it's not necessarily going to do anything amazing, but a lot of people have this, like, I need to stretch more. Right. And, and there's maybe, 
as you tease that out, but it's not necessarily that you need to stretch, right? There's no compelling reason that you, you need to stretch, but some people really like stretching, right? Um, and, and it makes them feel good, right? And again, is it because they're like stopping and not doing anything else for however long they're stretching or is it because of the actual stretch, right? Is it the relaxation or is it there actually something like mechanical? It's hard to say. So we're beating around this, I, the actual question here. The actual question is, someone likes a hot tub after a workout. So they're not trying to get heat adaptation. Um, they're not in a sport that's like super, you know, pounding. There's not a lot of like, they're not a football player with like bruises and, you know, they're not necessarily even necessarily, they do run, but they're not running. Like they're not a runner where you were maybe be concerned about like, in, like inflammation increasing where maybe the hot, in the immediate post window might be a concern. And again, I think the important thing is that they really enjoy the hot tub. So to me, it's not a big deal, but they have the side concern that they also are in a cold environment for uh, some of their cross training, not their main sport. Um, so they're in like a target shooting basically sport, uh, but they train and they go running and they run in a cold and they don't want to lose that cold adaptation. So to me, it, it doesn't strike me as something is going to be a big deal. A lot of cold adaptation is actually in the perception. Um, so I went back and forth with this person. I was saying, you know, what I would probably do is a, just continue training in the cold. You're going to get, you know, that used to dressing for it and just used to the exposure to it. Um, and then I think you could also play with if, it, if it's something you enjoy and isn't disruptive, you could try with like when you get out of the hot tub and go into a cold environment, it's very shocking. So if you really wanted to play around, you might be able to go and sort of do a bit of contrast. And that contrast I could see being a bit of a, like a mental boost, um, as far as your perception of cold. Um, the only other thing I would watch for in like a Stacy Sims type research thing is just if you're finding it's disrupting sleep, if it's close to sleep, it doesn't sound like this is in this case, but, um, in, in the case of sort of female physiology and just sort of cooling down around exercise. But given this person's main sport is not endurance oriented and they really enjoy it and, uh, they're not trying to adapt to heat necessarily with the hot tub. I, I just didn't, it seems completely fine to me to have a good hot tub. Yeah. And I mean, realistically, most of us are coming in from a cold ride or run and getting in a hot shower anyway. So if you really think it, like it's not that different in terms of, you know, kind of warming back up. Mm -hmm. So it's really not that dissimilar than what the average person would do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, when you live in a cold spot, um, being warm part of the day is nice. You got to warm up sometimes. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and again, the only caution would be like if you got bruised or, you know, you did a really hard strength training session, then maybe you'd want to be careful. But even the, the evidence on that, on which way it goes is pretty mixed too. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe the only thing I would say is make sure you're adequately cooling down so you wouldn't go from your last high intensity interval, stop dead and like immediately jump in but that's that's just good workout protocol that's not even necessarily related yeah you generally would cool down for sure and i think a lot of the heat adaptation stuff generally isn't done with intervals it's usually like an endurance ride where you've been really warm um and you've maybe like held back on some some 
uh, hydration and then are in a hot tub as well uh, after the workout. Uh, but again, this is not even, we're not trying to get adaptations here necessarily. Just trying to enjoy the hot tub. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So final answer, enjoy the hot tub. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think if it, if it's improving your life, right, then mm-hmm. go for it. Awesome. And speaking of life improvements, uh, when I, I'm just throwing this out there, if we can get to 300 reviews and ratings on iTunes, Molly gets a dachshund is the, the new metric we're going for. So no, it's not looking good, but, uh, maybe everyone out there who really wants us to get a dog, uh, please do us a solid rate and review, um, head right over to iTunes. There's links. It's super easy. It takes 10 seconds. And we would greatly appreciate it. I would especially appreciate it. (laughs) So thanks so much, as always, for tuning in. Let us know any questions, comments, suggestions for guests, et cetera, over at consummateathlete.com or hit us up at Peter Glassford and at Molly J. Herford. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week. 